0: no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. I, I'm going to jump into this one. This is just going to be a great interview. I am bringing on the host of the Modern West Podcast uh, from Wyoming PBS, Melody Edwards. Hey, Melody, how are you doing?
0: Good. And it's and it's Wyoming Public Radio, actually.
1: There you go. Okay. 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 Yes, Wyoming no worries. Public Radio. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, 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 it is an amazing podcast, and uh, for anybody that... Uh, has listened to our podcast Listened to many species we've covered in the west in the united states Uh, a lot of the stories melody covers really uh, you can kind of um, see how it is impacting wildlife so uh, we'll get more into the podcast here in a second but melody you've you've had a Pretty amazing career so far looking through, uh, you know, some of the stuff you've done, you've been doing reporting, you're an author. So I guess if we can just start off and you can just kind of talk about your background and, and how you found yourself doing this podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, so um, I actually came to audio reporting kind of later in life. Um, I started out as a poet, <laughs> and uh, and then wandered into fiction. And I, I have a, a master of fine arts in, in fiction writing, actually. But I always did a lot of um, I always did kind of a lot of nonfiction writing as well, and um, just love getting people's real life stories and, um, and sharing those in some way. So, um, at one point I saw that, that Wyoming public radio took interns and I didn't have to be a student or anything. I was, I was raising two little kids and, and I thought, Hey, I could do that. And, and I, I just loved the idea of telling stories with sounds. Um, and that was always the thing that I loved the most. I remember one of the, you know, first days on the job, one of my coworkers, you know said yeah in radio you don't get to use adjectives like all your all the writing is very you know trimmed um but sound effects are your adjectives that's how you tell your story and i just loved that i thought that was so amazing so um yeah so the podcast came about because i um i would write these stories for NPR and they're like four minutes long. And I would go out in the field and do these crazy stories with, and just have, you know, mountains of audio. And almost all of it ended up, you know, on the editing room floor. And I felt terrible about that and really would want to tell longer form stories. So, um, opportunity kind of came along, fell in my lap to develop this podcast and man, I just snatched that opportunity right up.
1: Yeah, no, it 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 is such an amazing uh medium to tell stories. And, you know, as long as you keep paying the bills to to keep it out there, people around the world can access it, right? And listen to these stories. And, and they're really it and your podcasts are really captivating. I mean, I really enjoyed it, you know, uh listening to them while walking around the house or cooking or whatever. Uh, just really quick, so you are living in Wyoming now, and this is it's kind of where you grew up, right? Northern Colorado.
0: I grew up over the mountains in uh, a little tiny town um, called Walden, Colorado, and um, so I'm I, you know, that town was really small and shrinking. And one whole season of the Modern West is actually about my small town, and, and it's called ghost towning because my town is turning into a ghost town. Um, and then I went to high school. In Fort Collins, Colorado, um, which is just a little too big, and so okay. uh, Laramie, Wyoming, was nearby. Both of those places and was just right. So I uh, we moved to Laramie, and my husband and I own um, a used bookstore, and um, we also have a coffee shop um, that's also attached to our bookstore. So uh, that's right downtown in historic downtown Laramie.
1: Uh, it just sounds cozy. I'm sure it's cozy, especially yes, in the it's, winters there. Right? It's,
0: it's like the coziest bookstore you've
1: ever been to. Glorious. Oh, yeah. I can just have some coffee and a Danish and, and grab a book. Oh, I love it. That's I love great. it. I love it. All right. So uh, really quick, before we jump into the podcast, because obviously we want to cover that and, and some of the stories that you're talking about and the issues. Uh, there's so many issues there. And and like when we were contacting each other back and forth. And I was like, I have so much I want to ask you, but <laughs> we'll boil it down to uh, less than an hour. Really quick, you're a published author, and I saw this, and and, and I'm, maybe I'll let you say the title, but what's your latest book about?
0: So I have a young adult novel out called Ocarina and the League of Crows, um, and it's actually um, going to be right up your listener's alley. It's, um, it's about two little girls who um, are born with the ability to talk to crows, um, and so they... Uh, find themselves kind of on a journey um, and they end up with this whole, you know, pack of crows that they end up traveling across the country with. Um, and they're trying to actually save the last whooping crane um, left alive. And it's sort of a set in a slightly in the future, a little dystopian. Um, and uh, it's a time when, you know, climate change has affected, you know, in de- an endangered species. And then so these, these, the, these crows and are trying to save all of the endangered species. Meanwhile, the bad guys are the ravens and uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. And yeah. so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just an adventure. And I am totally obsessed and have been forever with crows uh, and ravens. Actually, I actually yeah, yeah. think that ravens are, even though they're the bad guys in the, in this book, I think I might actually be even more drawn to, to ravens, just such intelligent birds. And uh, I just had a really great time writing that book.
1: Oh that's great. That's great. Okay, yeah. I saw that and and I saw the description and I was like, okay, I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, we just covered crows a few months ago and they you're they're astoundingly intelligent. I mean, we've done some parrots, but crows are off the charts. I mean, off the charts. They are yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I, actually have some, ba- a backyard family of crows that we've been throwing peanuts to for years. And, um, they, they actually left me a little gift the other day. I found a, a feather and a little, um, sparkly, you know, piece of something, a uh, little scrap of something that they had left me on my front, uh, stoop. So, uh, Yeah. They're amazing. They're
1: amazing. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I actually have to go back and re-listen to that one because it is one of our. We're getting a lot of comments on it. People absolutely are just. Astounded oh, I gotta by go. Them. I
0: gotta go track that one
1: down. Yeah, I it was like anything
0: back in January, and
1: everything yeah. about yeah. crows. Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna track <laughs> <Yeah>. that down. <laughs> then
0: we're gonna have to do ravens next. I mean, soon because
1: <laughs> yeah, those birds just amaze us. All right, let's talk about the modern west. Okay, can you just give our listeners an idea of of the objective of the podcast? Um, you know, I could talk about it in the episodes I've listened to, but obviously you're the host. So if you can just kind of talk about what stories you're covering and kind of what you really want to uh, to enlighten the listeners about uh, with that yeah.
0: podcast, yeah. Um, so you know, our tagline is that we are um, exploring the evolving identity of the American West, and I think that people have ideas of the American West. They sort of visualize this era. Um, during the, you know, maybe late 1800s, during the cattle drive era, when there was lots of cowboys moving cows and giant herds across country. Um, And it was this very, very small amount of time of history. But that is what dominates um, our ideas about the American West. And and just, there's a lot of stereotypes about, you know, who we are as Westerners, um, based on that teeny tiny, um, little sliver of history. So, um, there's lots of people doing amazing things and, uh, you know, Westerners are a very fascinating. Um, it's just a fascinating culture and it's, it is evolving and all sorts of really cool things too. I mean, it's, it's, the stories are unlimited, um, that we can do to, to try and tackle that and just show, show that, that the West is, uh, you know, we are our history, but we're also so much more.
1: Right, right. And, and it's your backyard. So, is uh, growing up there, and, and, you know, I grew up in California and then lived mostly in the south of the U.S. So, I haven't had a chance to really live or experience where you live uh, much. And you're right. There is kind of this, uh, this American uh, dream. I would say dream. We, we, you're right. We put you on a pedestal. And... <laughs> And and respectfully though, I think mm-hmm. I think most Americans look at the folks that live in Montana and Wyoming as hardy, and you you all wear cowboy boots and hats, and uh, you know you all have a little bit of a draw, and, and, and <laughs> there's just this mythos about it. Is that what kind of drives you to tell these stories? You know, because okay, sure we have this mythos, but here's the reality on the ground.
0: Yeah. The for sure this season that I'm working on which is called The Great Individualist and you know that I that term The Great Individualist actually refers to just what you were talking about this this kind of cowboy um sort of character who's just rugged and can you know doesn't need anybody he can just be roaming across uh the wide open spaces all by himself you know um finding bad guys and 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 that and that there's, you know, we have these ideas that that's uh, what the West is about and we are these great individualists, but, you know, um, I think that, that, that holds us back to, you know, being, um, so sort of, uh, beholden to that myth- mythos, um, and we do need each other and, um, and we're seeing that, you know, the people who are succeeding the most at ranching these days are actually, um you know, finding ways to really build community uh, and and doing all sorts of amazing stuff, you know, to try and, um, you know, create a new sort of more holistic, more sustainable kind of agriculture where cattle on the landscape aren't, you know, um, damaging waterways um, and, uh, you know, just causing a lot of damage over grazing, things like that. Um, And so there's, you know, communities that are coming together and kind of Pushing back on that, and actually, a lot of the the leaders in that movement are women, and so that's yet another way in which the stereotype doesn't quite fit.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we need we definitely need more women, and that empathy uh, mm-hmm. for our backyards. I I, I guess this is a good good point, a good segue, because really, a lot of what I want to ask you is what's going on with the wildlife i i can do research i can read news articles you know hear from new zealand uh, not being there my feet aren't on the ground there i guess if we can just kind of do a broad and then we'll kind of drill down a little bit what's the general feel i would say in wyoming northern colorado maybe even up to montana about your wildlife there because that is where a lot of the iconic wildlife of North America live or should be living and are getting driven out. So what's the overall public feel for that?
0: You know, it's the the thing about Westerners is that the reason we all live here, no matter what part of the political spectrum you're on, the reason you live here is because you love the great outdoors. You love your wildlife. You love um, seeing a bear. You love seeing a wolf. Um, I went out with a, a rancher um, who was really struggling with wolves attacking his cattle, um, and we, you know, we were on horseback and we saw a bunch of wolves. And he turned to me and he said, "You know, yeah, they they're they're destroying my cattle, but I still love to see wolves." Um, and I've had so many ranchers tell me that. So the the feeling is very much uh, um, this you know attachment to these. Um, to the wildlife and, and they are iconic and we care about them. Um, but there is also that, that constant push pull and, and ranching is such a difficult, um, it's so hard to make a living, especially nowadays. Uh, and so, you know, anything that threatens that way of life, um, is going to be, you know, turned into, and, and, you know, if, if the, if the government is kind of like regulating it and um, then that creates like this big complicated package where, um, you know, ranchers and other people around them will start to really hate the wolf or hate the grizzly bear. Um, And, you know, I think that the federal government can do a better job of helping to um, offset that by paying handsomely for any cattle that are killed by a grizzly or a, uh, a wolf. And that, that really I've seen, um, and I've done some stories about how that just, just really helps a lot is when the, you know um, those wildlife managers are on the ground, helping those ranchers to evolve the way they are ranching so that they can live with these predators. Um, that works. It really mm-hmm. does work. Um, so it's possible to do that. And I think, I think that's one, one of the ways in which the West is, is really um, – can model, you know, how can we live with wildlife? hmm
1: hmm No, it, it, you know, my – it's funny. I, whenever we do stories like my mom's side, we were fishermen out of uh, Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And then my dad's side is all animal ag. So I have that flavor too. And, and farmers, they work so hard they, anybody that's ranched, uh, raising cattle or even growing corn. I mean, they are some of the hardest working people. You'll know they're not rich. It's a very tight business. So losing a calf can make a difference, you know, uh, where you have to fire a ranch hand because you can't pay them. So I get it and I get the empathy, but on the other hand, you're right. They have to change the ways they're doing business because they are going into conflict. Because we're right now, and, and I know I sent you a list of questions, but maybe I can get your opinion on this. If you look a little bit further west of you, there's this state, maybe the redheaded mm-hmm. stepchildren. I, know I shouldn't <laughs> say that, but Idaho, mm-hmm. and and they've got open season on wolves now. I, I mean, what do you Have you? looked at that there you know people talked about there in wyoming and you know wow you know what's going on over there
0: yeah it's uh the states around yellowstone are you know having these open hunting seasons so that as wolves walk out you know they're protected Mm -hmm. in yellowstone national park you can't you can't hunt them Mm -hmm. um but the minute they step foot outside of of um the national park they're just getting you know shot down um, which is just really hard on those packs. Um, wolves are, are a species that really need to have like generations of wisdom that they pass mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been told by ranchers that the best way to manage wolves is actually to let them, you know, you know, uh, establish their, their family dynamics so that they have an alpha male and females that are, Teaching the younger generations mm-hmm. to stay away from those cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you break when you kill off a bunch of, of wolves, it just sends all of the other wolves scattering and and shakes up their packs so that they no longer have that that um, that knowledge of how to interact with. Um, with cattle, um, or sheep, or whatever mm, the livestock mm, might be, mm. so that is a really big problem in some of these states that are just, you know, l- loosening these laws all over the place. Wyoming has actually, I feel like they have a pretty good. Um, it's not great, but it's it is. We don't see the numbers of wolves just you know, getting shot down right outside. Um, even though they, when they leave, they can be shot, but Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit more limited. And, um, I don't know. I think that Wyoming game and fish has, has taken a pretty good, um, approach that helps ranchers and everybody feel a little bit more willing to accommodate those wolf packs.
1: Right. Rather than just go out and shoot them all. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But unfortunately
0: that's not the case with some of these other States.
1: And, yeah, and and they're suffering, I mean, because the political climate in the U.S. is just, it's topsy-turvy, so won't go there. But (laughs) it's just, (laughs) you know, the federal government and the state governments and, and you know, are hoping some things change because those wolves are so critical, just so critical to the biome.
0: Oh, they are.
1: Yeah, they just, they've done a lot. Now, the other parts that, that have bled into your podcast storytelling, which I really enjoyed, was talking about buffalo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: if you can kind of just lay out how buffalo are doing in your region of the world uh, and you know how i guess like you said wyoming uh, fish and wildlife how they're helping reestablish these herds protect these herds how are they doing
0: yeah so i have been covering uh the wind river reservation which is here in wyoming or in wyoming uh for since i've been a reporter and right away um the uh, Eastern Shoshone started developing their own herd of wild bison so these are these are not the kind of bison that you see grazing behind fences nicely behaved uh, yep. along roadsides yep. these are These are much more um, uh, they, their temperament is a little bit more erratic, and uh they are actually descended from the the very few um, bison that actually survived. Their annihilation um, during the late eighteen hundreds, and the um, the Eastern Shoshone um, started developing a herd. Uh, they are now up to, I believe, in the mid-60s, I think they have. They And they, every year they have um, bison calves that are being born. Um, and they are working with a coalition of tribes across the West, I think tribes across the country that are, um, it's a real movement to try and, and grow the number of wild bison that are descended from, um, that are not crossed with cattle, that are descended from Yellowstone bison. And it is taking off. Um, the Fort Peck tribe has up in Montana has, um, they have established like a quarantine program. So, because of course, ranchers are very concerned that brucellosis will spread from bison to, um, to cattle, even though there's actually not been any, um, you know, verified cases of that. Right, right, right. But, uh... Fort Peck has a quarantine program, so they, the, the bison that would be um, put down uh, in Yellowstone National Park, as that, that herd gro- grows too big, they take those, some of those bison, they quarantine them, and then they release them out to other tribes and to other parks and, um, and national forests and stuff. So it's really a growing movement.
1: That's awesome. That's the first we've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Again, we covered bison a couple of years ago, but yeah, they were down to a few hundred. I mean, yes. it, that was it. It was yeah. it
0: was annihilation. It was yeah. really they were basically on the verge of extinction. Yeah. I mean, they there was millions and millions, billions, like one of the largest, um, uh, you know, herds of roaming, migrating animals on the face of the planet, and within a very few years, just a few years, went from that to almost extinct. So
1: exactly, like yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Can you kind of paint a picture for the listeners and and you kind of do this a little bit you you do, you do dip into history, which I really love in your podcast. Uh, how much has changed in the west, you know, where you're at. I would say pre-European times, you know, Native Americans, maybe they had horses. Maybe they didn't for many hundreds, of th- if not thousands of years, did not have horses. Because um, I, I really quick, just, just to tell listeners, horses were reintroduced to the Americas by uh, the Spanish and Portuguese, I think. I think it was the Spanish getting loose in the 1500s. And that's how the American Indians or Native Americans got their horses. Anyways, quick history lesson. <laughs> but, you know, what did Wyoming look like then? Then, Europeans, my ancestors, you know, I assume your ancestors come in, make a whole mess of it. And then where are we today?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, you know, the, the, um, Native Americans that were living and um, thriving here before European contact. I actually just was doing some research about this the other day. And, um, it's kind of amazing to see like the, the, a lot of our roads and highways were, um. These migration routes that the tribes used, trade routes. Um, they had what we think of as mountain man rendezvous. They had those kind of same kind of rendezvous amongst tribes where they were trading, you know, all sorts of resources all over the West. Um, it was very much a very uh, you know thriving world back then. Um, you know, a lot of tribes were living at the highest elevations of our mountains. Um, This is brand new science that's just been coming out. And they were, you know, surviving um, year round in, you know, uh, above timberline, you know, hunting bighorn sheep and things like that. Just really cool tribes, really cool cultures. Um, And then, you know, those Europeans um, move into the uh, American West kind of wanting to bring sort of a European vision of civilization and sort of impose it onto this landscape, which was just not conducive to cattle or sheep. Um, that that didn't quite work, but that was in our head, cows equal civilization. That's just yes. how it, yep. in our European minds, that's how it works. If you're going to be civilized and, 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 you know, Lewis and Clark, they were so happy to get back and see cows. That was a sign that they were truly back to civilization. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the only problem is, is that the American West is a very arid climate, and the amount of grass that cows need is just—it's not available except over this huge expanses, um, and they have a tendency to just kind of eat down their very favorite kinds of, of grasses until they're gone. And, um, and the ov- overgrazing, the other problem that cows have is that they just, have a tendency to hang out near water and so you have water pollution um, nowadays we also the um, one of the biggest problems with cattle is how much methane they release you know we all hear about the uh, burps and farts mm-hmm, uh, it's mm-hmm, a real mm-hmm. thing <laughs> yep, yep,
1: yep. so
0: so they're releasing a ton of methane into our atmosphere and very much contributing to climate change on top of it all so so that's yeah its in a pretty, you know, in a few generations, uh, we we really transformed this landscape. Unfortunately, and uh, I think that everybody's trying to figure out, well, now what do we do?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I haven't brought it up in our regular podcast yet. Uh, I, I think maybe the week uh, we released this interview and the species we cover, I, I, I had a graphic that showed uh, the density, the but the the bio-density on Earth, right? And there's eight billion, almost eight billion people. Uh, there's close to, I think, oh, top of my head, 30 billion farm animals, you know, like one and a half billion cows, maybe two, one and a half, up to two billion cows and buffalo. And then chickens outnumber everything like 23 billion. <laughs> Hopefully they don't ever revolt. <laughs> but <laughs> but wildlife made up less than 5% of the biomass of all of living life on earth. Uh, not, not, don't take out the insects. I mean, I think this is just mammals and stuff. i'll I'll cover that graphic it's it's insane and i see it here in new zealand uh, the work i'm doing down here i mean we have green grasses everywhere it's just green year round it's gorgeous Uh, but yeah in the west it's 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 rugged it's the grass is not green it's at certain times a year so uh, one thing i noticed here in new zealand is there was a lot of deforestation to make way for pastures is that similar in wyoming montana i mean have they bulldozed forests and Cut down a lot of trees to make way for. No, it's not that,
0: and I know that's a big problem, especially in terms of climate change, that deforestation. Um, But here in the West, we didn't really have the trees, (laughs) Um, and so um, they're they're sort of roaming um, across the landscape, um, you know, far and wide. And um, you know, the 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 real issue is just overgrazing because there just really isn't that that kind of grass. And that's the thing is that this is you know. not a species that, that we should be probably having quite such a dominant, I mean, it's just so much associated with the American West and it's just really a bad fit.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah well and I guess my my next question and this one is is near and dear to my heart I just I just have a lot of empathy for native americans and you know looking into their history and and what has happened to them in your region of the world compared to what happened in the united states i guess with the uh, you know the mass killings and and the wars that we had with with native americans what does their history look like in that part of the world? Because there are a lot of reservations there. Are, are, are they thriving? Are they doing okay? Or is it is it, are they struggling? I guess is my question. Yeah,
0: um, I, I so the the history here in Wyoming is really quite fascinating. Um, the uh, Eastern Shoshone tribe had, um, you know, they had originally been promised a huge in, in treaties, um, had been ha- promised a very, very large amount of land. Um, and then it, that was whittled down, whittled down, whittled down, um, until they ended up on a somewhat small, um, reservation at the base of the Wind River Range. And then what happened was that the Northern Arapaho tribe, this was after, um, the Battle of Little Bighorn and all of that, um, they were being marched, um, they were going to be headed down to meet up with the rest of their tribe that was in Oklahoma. Um, and they had a really horrible winter and um, people were dying. They were, you know, one of those horrible marches. And so they got to the Shoshone tribes um, reservation and the Arapaho and the Shoshone are not, they are, they're traditionally um, enemies.
1: Yes. yes. And
0: uh, but the, but chief Washakie was very understanding about the fact that the, that, the Rappahoe were not doing well, and said, "Yes, you can stay the winter and then leave in the spring." Well, they never left, and so mm-hmm. now those two tribes have been coexisting on a sort of small reservation together, uh, making the best of it for a very long time. Um, and so they have been working things out, but it's it's a it's a you know a hard. Uh, it, you know, it's not an easy relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, but they've kind of found their way to self, you know, to, they are sovereign nations and they're, um, they've kind of, the, the government kind of wanted them to, to do things their way. And and they wanted them to, wanted to treat them as a unit. They've kind of separated and they're self-governing. Um, and that's worked out much better. They are doing okay in terms of, they both have, um, Casinos, uh, the, the Northern Arapaho tribes casino is the largest employer in the County. Um, and you know, they, the Northern Arapaho, um, are very much a growing tribe. Both tribes are, very young because they have, um, lots of young people. And that's a good thing. That is a really wonderful thing to see because there's a lot of vibrancy. There's a lot of energy and excitement about all the kinds of things that they can do, um, to grow their tribe and to create leadership. And, um, of course there's lots and lots of struggles There they're very, there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of struggles with, um, with addiction and, and, and some of those things, but um, when it came to like COVID, they just were amazing. They Compared to the rest of Wyoming, <laughs> yeah. they, were, uh, they were very proactive in terms of protecting their elders, making sure that they shut down the whole reservation. They um, uh, made sure that there was mask orders and um, um, just restrictions that, to make sure that that was a safe time. And it, they were very much showed um, amazing leadership during that time.
1: Oh, good good i mean it, it's their story is heartbreaking you know what happened uh 140 years ago and 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 even you know continuing on and it, here in new zealand uh with the maori it's it's a very similar story i mean it, it it's very eerie uh and mm-hmm. saying that like our tribes are called iwi and and there are uh, tensions sometimes and there was wars and i'm still learning all the history of it uh, but when the europeans come in and, and you we know, were like little toddlers we come in and just you know break up the room and uh it's just yeah so there yes. their, stories needs to be told so thank you for for doing that and and your stories coming in and oh i forgot the gentleman you were talking to and he was like oh i'll never call him a cowboy or something he, he just yes yeah, yeah, ja- yeah. Uh,
0: jason Baldas. and yes. he uh, he was i loved when he talked about that that he had grown up in wyoming which is the cowboy state. He didn't want to be a cowboy. (laughs) He didn't want to, he didn't want to go to the university of Wyoming because you know, the motto is, you know, the world needs more cowboys Mm -hmm. and they plaster a cowboy image on every single thing. And he was like, no way. I'm not, I'm not going to college there. I'm going to go to Montana or Colorado or (laughs) (laughs) anywhere else. So yeah,
1: yeah, that was great. That was a great story. That was a great story. Listen to him. And I just, yeah, I get it. 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 it. It, it, Real quick question. One of the things I, you know, and this could just be my ignorance, but is there a lot of exploitation of land with fracking and uh, gas development in that part of the country? Because I, I would hear stories of like, you know, ranchers lighten their their water on fire and and a lot of those fluids leaking, killing cattle, things like that. Is that a big issue or is that just kind of like...
0: No, it, 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 you know, we have a lot, our number one industry in the state of Wyoming is um, coal and oil and gas. So definitely we're the energy basket of the country. Um, And so, yeah, there's very much an an issue with um, making sure that those... that industry isn't, you know, um, taking advantage of sort of the loose regulations of our state and kind of leaving behind messes, which we have been seeing uh, quite a bit of, especially as coal, uh, the coal industry has gone bankrupt. So, you know, um, and and that really has affected uh, wildlife. We have, um, one of the things that has come to light just recently is that we have some of the longest, uh, like we have the longest mule deer migration route in the world. Um, And we have a pronghorn migration route. We have an elk migration route and these are still intact, which is just amazing. And these, these are animals that are migrating you know, just like hundreds of miles to get from, you know, their summer ranges in the high country down, down, down to the red desert, you know, where they can winter. Um, and yeah. so, you know, unfortunately they do have oil and gas um, fields in the middle of some of those migration routes. And so they're, I think, I, I have to say that the state of Wyoming is is working to try and figure that out and um, to try and figure out how to both protect um, those migration routes and make sure that the their you know the oil and gas industry can is able to um, continue to you know bring in revenue.
1: And I know and I know in the beginning you said you know many of the people that live there like to see the wildlife. Do you think the general feel of the the region they want to support wildlife conservation, or is it just, oh, it's just Yellowstone. we want to protect Yellowstone great, but anything outside of that, no, you know, whatever goes
0: you know it's it you never know you just never know about wyomingites there they have minds of their own <laughs> yep, yep,
1: yep.
0: uh and um it's it's interesting because like with this these migration routes that you know the state of wyoming is basically having to invent uh some sort of system of protecting a route that is like very long and skinny it's not like a big square of a park like we like to think of. Uh, you know. Public lands. This is a long route, and and so Wyoming's having to be cr- very creative about well, how do we do this? And they're having to invent the wheel. Um, and I think that's you know the kind of thing, the kind of leadership that you can see in a lot of the western states, left to their own devices, as long as the federal government isn't meddling these, these states will step up and do this stuff. Like I saw, um, sage grouse is, an, um, you know, almost made it onto the endangered species list a few years ago. And I was covering that issue when it, that, when they were deciding whether or not to do that. And it was amazing because you had these, um, coalitions, they had a sage grouse, um, uh, you know, group that would get together and it was, environmentalists it was ranchers it was oil and gas industry Mm -hmm. sitting down at a table and making hard decisions and forcing themselves to Mm -hmm. stay put in their chairs until a decision was made and they did it can you imagine that like we we haven't seen we haven't seen congress do anything of the sort in years but these these wildlife groups they are models for how democracy works and left to their own devices on that more local level They're actually quite functional.
1: I want to hear more of those stories if I can request anything on your podcast.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Because that would be amazing to hear that and how uh, there is so much discourse in the United States. And I think a lot of it is artificial, um, you know, without getting into it too much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, know, international influences uh, definitely are in there uh, trying to break up the country. And, you know, one thing we always talk about is conservation is local. It's always local, uh, you know, here in New Zealand, I can't tell, you know, those uh, people in Java and Indonesia, how to save the Sumatran rhino, they have to do it themselves, or they're in the United States going to Africa, you know, for, oh, you know, you need to protect your elephants. No, it's local, It's it starts local. So getting those people involved, that that's how you're going to solve the problem. So that's awesome. I, I, I'm going to look more into that. I wrote this down. i yes. definitely want to want to learn more about that, especially the sage grouse and what was yes. going on with there. Well, the one story that you were telling recently, Jim Elliott, and does he represent the cowboy values today? Is he is he kind of the iconic old cowboy, but has?
0: I would changed? say so. Um, you know, it, it's it's he's he's definitely sort of like. Um, to me, I guess I should just say that it, for me, he's like an uncle. You know, mm-hmm. uh, somebody that I grew up with who is sort of that the the cowboy ideal, somebody who really was a great individualist, somebody who made up his own mind about things. Um, and you know I think you heard that in that episode when he talks about Native Americans and how you know maybe this landscape would be better if we had left it in their hands. Um, and you know I think that what we're seeing now is um, you know that 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 the Jim Elliots are still, um, alive and well amongst us, for sure, um, and that you know that, and he's the, he's the kind of guy who's not going to get politicized. He's not going to um, necessarily be persuaded by you know what he sees on TV or whatever. Um, and I think that there's a lot of, of ranchers out there that are making up their own minds forming their own communities and doing new things. Um, And and very much so in the regenerative ranching movement um, where, you know, these are still guys, you know, families. um, And like I said, a lot of them are um, led by women um, that are, you know, taking what they grew up with and those old sort of ways and evolving them and trying new things um, and so, you know, the regenerative ranching movement is just amazing because it's um, really trying to. Um, raise cattle on the landscape the way that bison roamed when, when they were wild Um, really moving around in a bunch as if they were being chased by predators. Of course, we don't have predators anymore. So now uh, it needs to be those ranchers that are moving those cows often, just the way that bison used to do, making sure that they're eating lots of different kinds of grasses, that they're not overgrazing, that they're not staying um, uh, in any one area until they've just, you know, um, just completely eliminated those species, those species of plants. So I think that there's some ranchers that are really trying innovative things that um, still, you know, they, they still have a little bit of that Jim Elliott-like independence, but they're also more willing to work together and, um, and to also think so- outside of the box and listen to um, a more diverse voices for our leadership.
1: Yeah, it, it was it was fascinating listening to him. I could hear the almost regret in his voice of what had happened to the Native Americans, what had happened to the buffaloes, or buffaloes, it, what had happened to the bison, and and then he's like, "Well, I still got to make a living, you know, but I will try to do my best to to support that." And and I tip my hat to him. Like, it just it was fascinating listening to him. Uh, with that, and and then you kind of rolled that into this latest episode that just came out before we we record the interview, talking kind of about animal welfare, right? Is that because that's a huge issue down here where I'm living now? It's it, it, our cattle industry, especially dairy, is under a t- tiny microscope. Very, very animal welfare is on our minds all the time. Is that a concern there? Because you talked to Temple Grandin. I know you and I talked about you know meeting her. I got to meet her years ago, and it was a fascinating episode. But then also those young women you were talking to that they care about their animals. I think that's what people don't understand. Farmers love their animals, right? I mean, that's the ranchers super. do yeah
0: they they really do and they um they're often just like you know trying to uh you know make a living and they're they're going to follow the rules that are there to be followed if there's not any expectation of um of you know doing things in a more humane way that they might not get around to it and it seemed like you know what what i learned from those gals was they were doing things in a new way in an innovative way and really making sure that they were taking good care of the animals but it seemed like they had uh, a lot of knowledge of other feedlots that were not doing things quite as humanely. So that was worrisome. Um, But uh, yeah, it was so amazing to talk to Temple Grandin and, and, um, you know, to just kind of like we we all kind of have maybe seen her movie or, you know, read her books or something like that. And we have some knowledge of, of what it is that she's done to make our meat industry so much more humane than it ever was. But she had some real specific things to say about, you know, things are, there's still room to change and grow, especially with climate change. Um, You know, that, that a lot of these feedlots are just out there under these blazing sun. um, And these animals do not have any shade whatsoever. She's saying, you know, these animals need to have shade. Um, and, and enough shade for all the animals. Um, so that was one of her main concerns. The other thing that she said was that um, cows are being raised to be heavier and heavier, so that of course they can we can right get as much meat off of each animal as possible. They're maximizing uh, the animal. But that's leading to terrible lameness. Um, and so there's some there, she had some really specific concerns uh, that she was still working on. So, um, that was really great to talk to her.
1: Yeah. I loved listening to her and and she's, she's a little bit more outspoken. I remember, you know, it was about 10 years ago, I think, uh, maybe a little less than that when I, when I heard her talk uh, candidly to us and she was very careful. And I remember the, the, the takeaway I got from her is she's like, you can't play the middle. You have to choose a side because she's saying, you know, I would try to appease the ranchers and they'd attack me. I had to try to appease the animal welfareists. They'd attack me because she was playing the middle, and I think maybe now she's just finally saying, "I don't give a care anymore." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, she is. She has definitely uh, established her legacy as as one of our greatest, yeah, amazing woman. So, you're right. Climate change is a big issue. Uh, is that way of life? Is the ranching way of life, or uh, the cowboy way of life? Is that I guess where are we heading with it? Is it is it compatible with what we're trying to do with wildlife conservation? Now we got to worry about climate change. Is that way of life going extinct, or is it going to be persistent there for a while? You think?
0: I. That's a good question. And it, it, in here here in the American West, it feels like it's a way of life that is. Um, very much struggling especially because you know we have um basically four major meat uh, meat packers uh four major meat packers that are dominating and monopolizing the the whole you know uh industry and so that's leaving you know ranchers with you know pennies um to to try and do their you know, make a living on. So it's been a real struggle for ranchers, especially in the West. And, you know, if you're going to make a living as a rancher, it's probably, you know, that you're going to own just a huge ranch with a lot of animals, you know, maybe, you know, the whole idea of like having cowboys out on the range with a herd of cattle, that's just, it's not a very efficient way of raising meat. Um, and so not as many people are doing it, it's there, you know, animals are pretty much getting raised in feedlots and, um, and it's getting very much industrialized top to bottom. And so it is hard to see a path forward for, um, for the ranchers, the way things are done now. But I really do think that there is a path forward for this holistic Management approach that that it, then your market is very local. You're trying to raise enough beef for your town or your city or your county or uh, maybe your state, and it's not as you know. Um, you're not trying to produce a, a massive amount. You're just trying to at, at the episode that I just released today. Um, I have a quote from Wendell Berry who says, "You know, making a living is not about making a killing." It's just about making enough, you know, and I think that there's a a certain demographic of rancher who says, I want to live this lifestyle. I want to be out here on the landscape, interacting with animals all day, seeing wildlife all day. I love this place and I don't need to make a huge amount of money. I just need to make enough so that I can continue to live this lifestyle. So I think that there is a path forward for, um, for those kind of ranchers.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it it is. It, it's a whole another podcast
0: yeah. <laughs> discussion about <laughs> totally.
1: you know modern uh, livestock production and the farmers I know here down here. I mean, they're up at four thirty in the morning. They work till ten o'clock at night. Uh, you know, seven days a week. Sometimes they they don't get days off. Very very uh, similar to to ranching there in the west. Uh, so, my, I, you know, I think it, it, it takes a discussion. It takes like this sage grouse discussion. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> look into this. Yes. To, 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 combat some of these problems, because yeah, we have wolves. It's usually young wolves that are attacking cattle. It, we can't kill off the wolves. We, we need to coexist with them. How do we find that solution? Uh, fracking and coal production. Do we keep doing it? You know, what's all of these issues? You know, take people to sit down and say, okay. I need to feed my community. They're demanding meat. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it ethically and sustainably? So that's where we're going to move forward. Just a couple more questions before I let you go, because I know you got to run. Has anything surprised you doing these stories? Something that you just did not expect?
0: You know, I was pretty surprised when I started looking into the history of where Cowboys originated. Um, We... We actually we think of like you know the cowboy is like this European farmer who came to America and he just kind of transformed farming techniques into ranching techniques. That's sort of what is in our minds, but that's not it at all. <laughs> um, the the um, the cowboy and all of the the hat and the. You know the chaps, the chaps and the boots yeah. and all of the the look, the the style, the the lariat, yeah. the the rodeos, all of that actually descends from the the Spanish vaquero, the Mexican vaquero, and uh, you know these. Um, cattle ranchers that were down in Mexico with, they had cattle spread out all across the landscape and they hired uh, some of the, you know, the locals. Um, Oftentimes they were, you know, uh, indigenous people who maybe had married um, into uh, Spanish families or, um, you know, of course that history is off, awful as well. Yes. <laughs> um, but however it might be yeah. it was uh it was it was you know regular folks that were working on ranches in Mexico they developed these amazing techniques of ranching um so that they could manage this animal cows Across a gigantic landscape, and that's how they developed the the lassoing techniques and the um, all of these kind of things that we think of as cowboy and we think of as very white um, actually were Mexican. Um, And so I ended up interviewing a family uh, in in southern Colorado that had descended from the you know from Conquistadors. And, um, you know, the the guy I interviewed, his great, uh, great, great grandfather um, actually owned his, wa- his, his wife, his great, great, great grandmother. Um, so they, that's kind of the story that had, he had, you know, that was their ancestry. And they were still doing the same kind of sheep herding that they had been doing for generations. Um, and so that origin story of the cowboy still very much alive and well.
1: That's awesome. I'm going to chase that episode down. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's uh
0: that's episode two. So okay, yes, okay, go check okay. it out. Yeah, it's I, a really good I one. I will
1: I haven't heard that one yet. I definitely will listen to that one later today. That's fascinating. A couple final questions. What's next for the Modern West podcast? So where are you guys taking that? Any insights into some stories you might be chasing down?
0: Yeah. So um, it's sounding like what the next season is going to be about is actually um, that history of um, the the Indian Wars, the Plains Indian Wars. Oh, yeah. Um, There's a lot, you know, like as we were talking about earlier, that that story, that history we have, when we learn about it in school, um, it's very in these piecemeal, like there was this battle and there was that battle and this is who won this battle and that's who won that battle. But in the, in, when you talk to native American tribes, the, that story is all very connected and uh, you know, it's, it's a much more nuanced Um, Story, And so we're going to do a whole season um, just talking only exclusively to um, indigenous, you know, historians and activists and people who are trying to heal that history and all the kinds of amazing stuff that is um, happening in, you know, Indian country these days to kind of try and um, address and, you know, look hard at a history that is just really sometimes brutal to look at.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I'm excited to, to, to hear mm-hmm. uh, more from, from the podcast. It's, it's that good. It's really good. And, and I Thank highly so suggest much. our listeners. Yeah. You're just a wonderful storytelling. Uh, the editing, everything is very professionally done. It, it's an amazing, amazing podcast, the modern West. And we'll definitely put the links in our show notes. Final couple questions for you what's next for Melody Edwards? Are you writing more books? I would love to
0: write another book about um, Ocarina and the League of Crows. I I, kind of left everybody in the lurch at the end of that book. So I do need to uh, somehow squeeze in a little bit of novel writing at some point. Yes.
1: Um,
0: But I'm always writing poems and um, I always have a million different, you know, writing projects as well. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm like okay. I need to go to Wyoming, and I need to find your yeah, come shop and visit. And, and
0: come yes. grab a book
1: and just chat, chat <laughs> about the uh, the the Wild West. Uh, where can we find out more about the podcast or any social media you'd like to promote or put out there?
0: Yeah, um, I'm at at you know I'm on social media at um, Modern West Pod on all of the social media things, um, and you can also email me at the Modern West um, at I think it's themodernwestpod at gmail dot com, and then uh, you know the podcast is at themodernwest.org. dot um, org. So I'd love for people to um, you know download a few episodes and, and uh, see what you think. It's it's a very immersive experience. Every episode we are someplace amazing with lots and lots of sound rich um, experiences. So hopefully. People can it is. Tag along. It, it, it's
1: it's a little bit of Americana, but then yet it's a little bit of polit- politics. It's a little bit of wildlife. I, I think for our listeners, uh, it's a change. You know, obviously from our podcast, but uh, highly recommended. The Modern West podcast host Melody Edwards. Melody, thank you so much, t- so much for taking time to chat with us today. And I look forward to, to keep listening and seeing where you're going. And if I get to Wyoming, I, I'm coming to visit and and have some coffee at your uh, absolutely your, your shop
0: you got to if I come to New Zealand I'm going to come knock on your door
1: (laughs) absolutely I'll I'll show you all around it's a a treat it's a treat yes
0: well take care thanks so much you too bye bye
1: okay round two name something that's not boring
0: laundry oh a book club computer solitaire
1: huh oh sorry we were looking for Chumba casino